Hi there. Today you're listening to Fruit Pursuit with Mary Aldrich. This is a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Join me as I share some practical applications of the fruit of the Spirit. Here is where you can learn tools to cultivate things like love when you find your son sitting in paint, joy while cleaning up the paint, and peace in more areas besides just hiding in the bathroom. Yes, it is possible to love God, love others, and enjoy it. Hello and welcome to episode 18, Love is Listening. Whether you're a new listener to this podcast or you have been listening for the whole time, I'm so glad to spend this time with you. Thanks for showing up and I hope you get some encouragement and some new material for how to practically apply the fruit of the Spirit in your life today. Today, we're going to talk about one of the greatest challenges that I have dealt with is listening skills. I have no trouble speaking up. I have plenty of opportunities to run my mouth, as is obvious by having a podcast. But listening doesn't come as easily to me. I think because my brain runs 90 miles a minute and I feel like everything that comes through my mind, I'm supposed to have come out of my mouth really getting a chance to step back and decide if every thought I have is worth sharing is something that I find a struggle. Today, however, I really want to talk about how that listening skill reflects the love of Christ. So I hope you strap on your seatbelts and enjoy this podcast. We're going to get into some really good stuff today. The first aspect that I want to talk about here is how we have an example from God of what love looks like. You know, the verse that comes to mind when I think about love being listening comes from Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. So I've actually got my Bible here. That's what you hear thump in the back. And I wanted to read it straight from the scripture so that I get it correct. And it says, uh, this just to set it up, this is when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And they really were having a rough time. They, they were owned by another country. They were being mistreated. They had to do all of this work. They were in a position where The Egyptians were even killing off their male children. So really having a rough time. And verses 24 and 25 of chapter 2 say, And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So, There they were crying about their situation. They were having such a difficult time. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant. He saw the people and God knew. I think that God knowing really implies that he fully understood just how painful their situation was. 
And I think that part of that came from not only him being God and being all knowing, but also taking the time to really hear their groaning. And he cared so much that he was willing to listen to their complaints and their frustrations and how, how things were hard. I love that example of God hearing their groaning and remembering. And he knew we know that as a result of, of that pain and listening to them, that he decided to do something different. He called them out of Egypt, but long before he took them out, he was listening. He was hearing their cry. He was in it with them. He was sort of what, what I would call holding space for them to share their grief. And so it's in this context that I want to talk about how we can show love to others by listening. Just as God did to the Israelites, we have the opportunity to show this kind of love to the other people in our life. And just in case you think, well, that kind of listening doesn't really apply to you, I'll remind you of the verse in John 15, 12 and 13, which says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So, If one of God's ways of loving his people was to listen to their groanings and really understand what was going on with them and have compassion on them, then it just by default, according to this verse, means that this is an aspect of loving others that we are called to give to them as well. Now, I want to apply this in some really practical ways because Loving others by listening doesn't sound like a big deal when it's somebody that you really care a lot about that when you're listening to them and their groanings, it doesn't really apply to you or it's not about you or it's it's some outside source causing their problem. It's not as difficult sometimes to listen to those types of things. I'm thinking about things like if your child comes in and they've had an altercation with a friend And they say, you know, this friend was doing thus and so to me and I didn't like it and I got in trouble or whatever, then it's that I don't find that difficult to listen to. You know, we we care. I care about them. I care about their situation. I have a desire to come to their aid. I don't find that tough. That's an easy thing to listen to. And so I think, oh, love means listening and I'm listening to their heart. And yes, and that is true. It is part of love to listen to our children in those types of situations. But there's other types of situations that listening is not as simple. It's it's more challenging. And yet I believe that we're still called to do it as an expression of love to other people. And the fun thing is, is that we can, there are ways that we can change our thinking so that it's not as complicated to listen to people out of love. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say you're a new mom and you 
are trying to figure out how to take care of this baby and how to love the baby, how to, whether or not they're supposed to sleep on their backs or their stomachs and how to get them to sleep at all, whether or not to breastfeed or bottle feed, whether or not to put them in cloth diapers or disposable diapers, whether or not they need this type of outfit or that type of outfit, whether or not to vaccinate them or not vaccinate them, whether or not you're supposed to use a pacifier or let them suck their thumb or somehow magically get them to do neither, but also stay quiet on a regular basis so they don't drive you insane. There's all of these controversial topics that come up around babies. I don't know what it is. It's like this is one of those subjects that everybody has an opinion on and everybody feels like it is their job to make sure that they share their opinion with you. And so as a new parent, when we're struggling with our own confidence in this new role, it can come across very personal, can't it? That when someone says, well, this is how I think you ought to do it, it can easily come back to us as feeling like what you're saying is that the way I'm doing things is wrong. And we tend to get defensive. Listen, this isn't a place where we can practically apply listening to other people out of love. Because a lot of what they're sharing is not about us. It's, it's not about you. Whether or not you're doing it right or wrong is not, is often not the reason that they're sharing it. The reason that they're sharing it is because they see you do something different. And a lot of times people are trying to validate their own decision because there's a part of them that is still wanting to confirm that they really did it the right way. And so we can get others in our life and around us can get pretty firm on what they thought think is the right way to do something. And they're sharing it with us in a very strong way, a strong opinion that if we take a step back, we can realize it's not about me. It's about them. It's about them defending what they decided is right and wanting to confirm that because they struggle with feeling like insecure in their own decisions or they struggle with, did I make the right choice or they want, they see that they made a choice and it matters to them what other people think about their choice. And so if they can convince us that that is the way that it's supposed to be, then it makes them feel better about standing. They're not standing there alone in that decision anymore. They're, they have a convert and it's easier to do things in groups than it is alone. Now, not everyone is in that position, but I truly believe that often that is the most generous interpretation of a, the viewpoint that someone else is coming from when they're sharing their experience and their opinion with me. It's the most generous interpretation to assume that it's about them and not about attacking me. And so listening can be loving because we realize that their sharing is about them and not about me. In fact, not only do I feel that strongly, but I, I, in order to help me remember that often, I have 
written the letters I-N-A-Y in different places. Sometimes if I'm going to an event and I know I'm going to be around opinionated people, I'll have it on my hand. I'll write I-N-A-Y on my hand. Or sometimes in my own family and I'm going into a conversation with my husband or I'm going into a conversation with my children or How many of you have had conversations with your parents or your in-laws about opinions about different things like your children being uh, growing up in different decisions you're making as a parent and could use these four letters in your life? I-N-A-Y. It's not about you. That's what that stands for. When I see those four letters, I say it to myself. It's not about you. And it helps me remember that the person who's talking in front of me is sharing things from their experience, even if they're ta- even if it relates to what I'm doing. It's not about you, Mary. So where in your life could you use these four letters? With your parents or your in-laws and how they share information so that you aren't as tempted to get defensive about your own parenting method- methods? Or maybe it's the relatives that or friends that say insensitive things. Uh, Another example of this that I could share is, I don't know how many times you have ever heard different people talk about things like, you should never say this to a single person, or you should never talk about thus and so to a person whose child has died. Or what's not helpful to talk to a pregnant mom about is. Or a mom of many children doesn't want to be asked these questions. There's all of these these phrases and things that are kind of buzzword offensive, I guess, is how I would explain it. So some examples would be things like a single person and, and someone comes up to a single person and says, So when are you getting married or have you decided to just have a career for your life? Or maybe they say something like, you know, I could hook you up or we need to pray for you to find a spouse or all of these things that are sensitive around the subject. Single women and men get frustrated because they're already frustrated. Some often are already frustrated about their situation. It is difficult to hear those things, but often the statements that other people make are not about them. It's not about you. If you're the single person and you're hearing some of these things, honestly, these statements are not about you. In fact, most often it's coming from a place of either the person has no idea what to say and is trying to come up with conversation. It's the first thing that popped to their head. And rather than say nothing and feel awkward, they throw out the first thing that comes into their brain and it just wasn't the most ideal statement. They're doing the best they can. Or it comes from a place of love and also pain. They're trying to figure out how can I help this person? Is there something I could say that would Like, I know that they would love to be married, but I have no idea what the right, the way to get there is. Or maybe they just don't know a subject to talk about. And so your singleness is something that that is obvious. And so this is the thing that they bring up. 
The same thing happens with parents who've had children pass away or difficult situations in the hospital. People come along and say things like, so what do you think God is trying to teach you through this? Like, oh my goodness, so insensitive. And okay, maybe it is. And at the same time, it probably was just like, I, I know I'm supposed to say something and I really have no idea what to say. Their statement is not about you. It's about them. It's about them trying to figure out what good could possibly come from this because I so far haven't come up with anything myself. Maybe they've got something that God is teaching them through this. And and that would be helpful to know if they're learning something as a result of this, this difficult situation. There's hundreds of things. We could go on and on with, and well, okay, let's just talk about the mom thing for a minute. Being pregnant or having lots of kids. Statements that easily offend mothers. I could give you a book of them. Do you know what causes this? How many children do you think you need to be happy? Wow, you must be ready. I had one guy tell me when I was seven months pregnant, wow, shouldn't you be in the hospital? Like, hmm. No, I'm only seven months. I know that looks really large, but, um, you know, statements like, oh, my goodness, surely you have twins in there. (laughs) These are statements that people make. But you know what? It's not about me when they make them. It's about them. They notice something and the first thing that pops in their mind comes out of their mouth. They're trying to make conversation. Maybe the it's so obvious that I have a very large stomach that when I'm pregnant, that they they can't help but notice it, and then they've noticed it, and now they're supposed to say something because otherwise they just weirdly stared at my stomach and have nothing to say. That's weird. So something pops out of their mouth, so it's not the most sensitive thing in the world. But it's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about them. It's about them and their desperation to make conversation. It's about them and trying to figure out how does a person decide to have more kids like this when they can't imagine having kids that many kids themselves. It's about wanting to rationalize their choices because maybe they're struggling with whether or not they should have had more children. All of It could be any number of those things. But the truth is, it's not about me. It's about them. And it's not about you. It's about them. It's an opportunity for us to lovingly listen and recognize this says more about the person who is saying this sentence than it says about me. And as a result, I can choose to listen and be loving and extend grace and mercy instead of get defensive and offended and take it personally. That's not love. In my mind, in in America, where we don't have tons of everyday opportunities to lay down our life for other people in sacrificial ways. We definitely have things like firefighters and, you know, hospital workers. I'm not talking about it doesn't exist. I'm just talking about the everyday lay person in day in and day out. This is a practical way that you can lay down your life for somebody else. You can say, I am laying down my own tendency to get defensive, my own 
personal insecurities around this. I can lay that down as an act of love to the person in front of me and show some grace. I can listen because it's not about you. It's not about you. Another aspect or way that we can use this concept of listening is when a spouse is sharing concerns with us. I heard the famous speaker Brene Brown talk about how she discussed authenticity with a crowd. And she talked about how she challenged people to, like, and the men in the crowd to speak up in their marriages, to speak up to their wives about what was really going on. And afterwards, a man came up to her and said something like, you think you want authenticity and vulnerability and you want us to speak up, but you don't actually. Because, and the reason why is that women often have this mixed thing of wanting the man to be the protector and the provider and the place where we go for comfort and and security, knowing he's kind of like on the white horse charging ahead. We want that confidence in our relationship. And so if he comes in and he shares something really vulnerable, we get defensive. We get nervous. It scares us a little bit like, wait, this is you're not allowed to be frightened and nervous. This is where my confidence and my stability is. How, how can you be nervous? This ugh, this throws everything off. And we shut it down. We fight back against it. And it's no wonder that we have men who don't really want to open up to their wives because they're going to get shot down. And if you don't think this is true in your relationship, I encourage you, go ask. Go ask if he feels this way. I'm, I'm okay if you prove me wrong and he actually does it and that's fine. That's like great evidence of a good relation, of good communication there and good relationship. But it's not the case for a lot of us. I know that for years I have struggled with this with my own relationship with my husband in the area of finances. I know that I struggle with financial irresponsibility. From the standpoint of I'm more likely if I want something to just go and purchase it without talking about it first. And it's not in an attempt to be deceitful or dishonest or to be out of integrity in our relationship. There's some wonky little thing that I've believed for years that it's, it's a it's a mindset of scarcity that comes up that says I better hurry up and get this now. Because I see our finances diminishing and pretty soon I won't be able to get it at all. So I'm going to hurry up and buy it now because now I have, now I can have it and later I won't be able to have it. It's a really messed up thing. It's my own weakness that I am working on. And by God's grace, I have really come a long way in this, but it's still something that eats at me. It's my own insecurity around financial about around financial issues. I already know that I'm not very good at it. And so what happens is when my husband comes in and he 
is bold and brave and decides that he's going to share how he's really feeling about our finances, maybe he'll say something like, I am really distressed about our financial situation. My knee-jerk reaction is to feel attacked. He's sharing this with me because I'm the problem. He's telling me, look, here's my subtle way of explaining that this is your fault. And if I didn't have to put up with you and your weakness, we would be fine. That's where I take it. My natural instinct is to go there. And if I'm not careful, not only do I go there in my mind, but it comes out of my mouth in a defense mechanism. And I get all I get all frustrated and flustered and defend my reasonings for why I've been purchasing the things I've purchased. And don't you think our family needs this, that, and the other? And you don't understand because I'm the one that has to buy everything in the family on a regular basis while you just don't have a real clear view of the details. And I can't believe that you are really accusing me of, like, do you see how quickly? Tell me that you understand this kind of idea that that we feel personally attacked and it can feel so convincing and so real that the reason they brought it up is to attack us that their motive their entire motive is to blame us when in actuality what's really going on is they felt safe or they thought they felt safe to share with us how they were really feeling. It really is. It really, I really want it to be okay that my husband says, I'm feeling really distressed about our finances right now. I want him to be able to feel that he can tell me that without me taking it personally. Because the truth is he can feel distressed about the finances and it doesn't have to be about me. And he has said before, I don't have a problem with what you've been doing. I know you're doing the best you can. I'm doing the best I can. And I'm still distressed because the numbers aren't adding up. And so we collectively as a team have got to look at this. And it's not your fault or my fault. I'm just, I'm distressed. Here, here I am. I'm sharing that this is how I'm feeling today. If I can hold space for him to share those feelings without taking it personally, then we have this wonderful opportunity to work together as a team to come up with solutions. It's because I listened and I didn't make it about me. His responses and his concerns were about him. In order for us to be able to work together as a team, it's really important that my teammate be able to express his fears and worries and concerns and distresses without getting defensive about it. Are you willing to love your spouse enough to hold that kind of a big space for them instead of get defensive? That's love. God didn't get defensive when his when the children of Israel were crying out to him about all the things that were going wrong in their lives, he heard, he remembered, he listened to them without 
without going into a bunch of reasonings why he had done it the way he had done it. He just heard their pain and let it be and looked for solutions. It's an example of love that we can love others through listening. And finally, we can listen to our kids because it's not about us either. Our kids with their complaints and their frustrations and their discomfort and their problems. We sometimes our confidence in our parenting is struggling so much. We're not sure if we're getting it right. We're doing the best we can, but maybe we're blowing it at the same time and don't really realize it. Or we're concerned because we've tried 20 different methods and nothing has worked and we're on method number 21 and and is this one, this one doesn't appear to be working either. And then the kids comes back and says, nothing you're doing is working. And we get all annoyed, right? <clears throat> I think that this is another opportunity for us to hold space, to listen out of love to how they're feeling. Recently, we've implemented a very practical way of doing this in our family On a fairly regular basis, we have some sort of family meeting. Now, about once a week, we get together and talk about what's going well, what we're enjoying, what our favorite parts of the week are, how God has provided for us. And those are wonderful. But every once in a while, say about once a month, our family gets together and we give the kids an opportunity to talk about what isn't working. What are they, what are they, what are the the things in the house that they're struggling with that bother them? What are the relationships in their lives that they're having trouble getting along with? Are there rules that they're finding frustrating in our family that are not going well? Do they have any struggles in their schoolwork or are they having any difficulties at church or are they, do they have Aspects of their physical body that are annoying them or causing pain and, you know, just getting an opportunity to open up about what's really going on and giving them a chance to speak out and not making it about you. This is about them and their experience and what's working and not working for them. And it's not about us and whether or not we've been good enough parents or whether we're providing enough for them. It's about listening to how they feel what's going on, and that's a way we can show love. We actually took it one step further, and because I wanted my kids to feel safe to share anything, we passed out index cards to all of the children and encouraged them to, if there was anything that they felt like was really embarrassing, that they didn't want to share because they were so embarrassed, that they could write it on the index card, and that We would collect all the index cards at the end of the meeting and everybody turned in an index card. So it wouldn't be obvious that one person had problems and another person didn't. Just everybody got a card. We collected a card from everybody. And then we were able to see some of the things that were closest to their heart. The things that were driving them, some of the the discouragements that they were a little bit scared to share that we were able to address. Some of them were nothing, nothing in those moments was, was life shattering, but 
but it really touched my heart. Some of the things that they wrote on those cards, just relationship struggles, that they were longing for something different or or even physical pain or difficulties that they were having that I was so glad to hear about because they didn't know there was a remedy for it, but I did. And so we could, we could address it, but they were embarrassed, you know? And I think we can think that we have good communication with our kids, but it's worth checking on. My kids are very good at talking to me about things and they still have secrets. I am a person that is very open with people. I, I think most people perceive me as a person who's willing to be honest and upfront and share exactly what's going on. And yet there are still things about me and feelings that I have that I hold close to my heart that I struggle even to admit to my spouse, fears that I have and worries that I have to feel very safe before those things come out. And sometimes they stay in there for quite a long time. And our kids do the same thing. We can love them by giving them an opportunity, a safe space to say the things that are going on, that are hurting them, that are causing problems, and remembering that it's not about you. It's about them and not getting personally defensive about your parenting when they share those things. So in conclusion, loving people well is really about listening because it's not about you. It's letting the story that they're telling be about them. If you're looking for ways to draw out more information from people when they're a little nervous about it, several different ways you can do that are to say things like, hmm, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. You could say, why? What makes you feel that way? Or how come? You could say, if you could choose a solution to this, any solution, what would it be? What do you wish it was like? Tell me more about how you envision the ideal situation with this particular issue. Getting curious And allowing that safe space is really showing the love of Christ to the people in our life. It's a way of laying down our life for our friends and our family and our spouse and our kids on a regular basis. It's a loving act to hold that kind of space for others. So I know this is around the holiday season. I know that you're headed into a time where people are getting together and there's all all kinds of opportunities for awkward conversations. And this is an opportunity for you to share this kind of love to the friends and family around you, to really love them by listening. Be sure to tune in next week when we talk about love is speaking up. We're going to talk a lot about how speaking up is a loving act too and some situations where that's the more important thing to choose. All right, what one action step are you taking away from this particular episode to incorporate into your life so that you are applying love as the fruit of the Spirit into your everyday activities? 
Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to check us out at fruitpursuitpodcast.com. And you can check out my coaching options at maryaldrichcoaching.com. I'd love to connect with you. Leave me a comment. Let me know how you're enjoying the podcast. Take care. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Fruit Pursuit with Mary Aldrich, a production of the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. To hear more great ways of growing your mindset in the fruit of the spirit, please subscribe. You can listen to other episodes and find additional resources at fruitpursuitpodcast.com. To learn more about Mary Aldrich and the coaching work she is so passionate about, visit maryaldrichcoaching.com. And by the way, what one next step are you taking today?